Good morning, Cornerstone, San Francisco. It is so good to be with you guys and uh, to join you. I have been asked by Pastor Terry, uh, I think over the past year and a half, two years, to come visit you guys and to speak. And it is one of my favorite um, churches. Actually, uh, I don't tell a lot of people, but you guys are like my favorite. I love coming to Cornerstone and being with you guys. So it's so awesome to be able to jump in on this series up and over. And I'm thrilled to be with you. It's been uh, obviously a crazy season, which I'm going to talk about uh, this morning. But um, let's just pray and ask the Lord to open up our time together and open up our hearts as we look at the scriptures and ask God to challenge us. So just join me in prayer. God, we pray as you've done throughout the generations and throughout the years that you take your word and you show it to us in a way that doesn't just make us um, more enlightened, but it causes us to mo live more like Jesus. And will you do that again today as you've done in so many years in the past and uh, encourage us during this weird season where we can't be together except for being online and uh, strengthen our hearts, illuminate our eyes to see, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So it is really good to be with you guys. And so I'm thrilled. Uh, and I wanted to share something jumping in on the Up and Over series. I've never been in a season in our country, in a current climate, where we have come across and experienced anxiety and fear on this level. I was just reflecting on that as con things continue to happen. I was reflecting on um, uh, different things. And if I could put every year of my adult life in a fear index to see where it stands, 2020 stands out far above any other year. I think about the different years that I went through, like 1996 was the year I actually moved from Southern California, my family, to the Bay Area. We didn't know anybody. And I remember thinking, what are we gonna do? How's this gonna play out? And, and we just, we didn't know where we were gonna live and all these other things. And there was a lot of fear involved with that. I remember uh, the year 2004 was especially a hard year for our family. We went through some trauma and brokenness and some things that we went through and thinking that's really high on the fear and anxiety index. Many of you remember 9-11, uh, uh, that was in the year 2001. And, and what happened that day was crazy, but then the fear that followed afterwards because of the vulnerability that we felt. We couldn't travel, there's places where we couldn't go, and, and uh, a, a lot of unknowns. And we have that in 2001 was that really crazy fear level. But still, nothing seems to beat 2020. And it's not over yet. It's been a weird for me personally. It's been weird for my family, for the church, for my community, for the state, for our country, for our world. So when you put it on a, on a global scale, this has been on the fear index. It takes, 2020 takes top honors in the fear and anxiety category. And I'm confident that I'm not alone when, I, when I'm feeling this. The mere fact that I'm speaking to Cornerstone, one of my favorite churches via video and not live, is rooted in fear and anxiety over this crazy virus that just between you and me, I am done with. It's just crazy. Wearing masks, it's just insane. But everyone is fearful and holds anxiety about the pandemic, about personal health, about social distancing, about the economy, about a, a, a myriad of different fears that we carry. So with COVID, add onto that a weird election year, a divided country, 
racial tensions, California burning down. I live in the Santa Cruz Mountains, and we just had crazy fire sweeping through our county. Ash and all these smoke, as you guys have experienced. Horrible air quality. Educating our kids on Zoom. Riots. The economy. And the fact that I have to watch five different news channels and get news sources just to figure out what the truth might be. You can easily see how it might hold some people in fear and might carry a little bit of anxiety. It's crazy because you think this can't get any worse. Every time from, from spring when this came on us, you kept thinking, this can't get worse. And it's like every week it gets worse. We have a Supreme Court justice pass away and then it gets worse. It's just like, what is going on? And let's be honest. There might be days where I, where I would wonder, and maybe you wonder, hey, God, are, are you paying attention down here? Because it's kind of getting gnarly. Ever feel that way? It's driven by fear. It's driven by anxiety. Um, there's literally days where I think, you know what, if I could just hide somewhere until this blows over, if I could just kind of hunker down, shelter in place, and then just let this pass, and I'm going to just stay there and hide until it's passed. And it's fear, driven by fear and anxiety. And fear is this primary driver in our culture today, which is contrary to God's word. And so when I go through the scriptures and I go through and talk to people about fear, my grid is to think through the passages that respond to fear. And so here's some of the passages where God talks about fear. This is one from the Old Testament in Isaiah where he says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Another one, King David, as he's being pursued and chased and all the different things that went on in his life, where he says, uh, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Uh, here's one from Philippians, a favorite book of mine, where it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in uh, every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, make your, uh, uh, present your requests to God, and the peace of God transcends your all, all understanding and will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Seems nice, but is that how it plays out? Another one, this is from Jesus himself, where Jesus says, peace uh, is what I leave you with. It is my own peace that I give you. I do not give it as the world does. Do not be worried and upset. Do not be afraid. Jesus' words. And then uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, where he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. These are passages that as I hear about fear that's going on in our world, these are the passages that come to mind. And I'm like, when Jesus speaks the Bible, God's constantly speaking to us about fear. And over and over again, the Bible talks about dealing with fear, eliminating anxiety, trusting in God. But this year seems different. Does it seem different to any of you? It's like all those passages were meant for every other year in the history of the world, except for this one. But the truth is that God is present. He actually does calm our fears. He gives us true peace and a peace of mind. He will guard our hearts and minds. But this year does seem exceptionally crazy. And if there were a time that we need him the most, I think it's right now. And to actually have a conversation. So I want to share a story with you about a person in the Bible. And as I process this story and as I think through it, 
It's kind of a crazy story because God uses this individual in a time when the world and this in the, the world as they knew it was in absolute chaos. And people were like far from God and whatever else. And he raises up this person, Gideon, to advance God's uh, kingdom. But the crazy juxtaposition of his mindset at the beginning of the story to the end of the story is super ironic. Because when you look at the end of the story, you think, no way, this guy's just this mighty warrior of God. But when you look at the very beginning of the story and the circumstances, you think, this is exactly what's happening in our world today. It's kind of crazy. When I think about it, the Midianites were these warrior, um, nomadic groups of people that were like a, a mob. They weren't even like a formalized army. They were just this, it was like a, it was like a massed mob of the Amalekites and then mostly the Midianites and other people that came together and gathered in the Valley of Israel, of Jezreel. And there was 135,000 of the men. And then it says the camels were so many that they couldn't count. They were as many as the sand on the seashore. Like it was this sea of people. And what they would do is they would come in as raiders and they would raid the camps and they would raid um, the fields and they would pillage things. It says they were like grasshoppers and they would kill the crops, they would kill the livestock and they would kill the people and they would enslave them, torture them, all those things. The Midianites were the worst. And this is what's happening. The, the Midianites are coming in and Israel is racked with fear during this time. And when you look at this story, um, it starts with Gideon, who's just a regular person like you and I, and God calls him to actually lead the children of Israel against this encroaching thing that is causing so much fear and anxiety. And uh, it's a weird part of the story. And then the very end of the story, you see this crazy response. So I'm going to walk us through the front part of the story and walk us through some of the things that I see in this. It's in Judges chapter 6. And if you want to read the story on your own, it's chapter six and seven. I'm just going to summarize a little bit of chapter seven, but I'm going to read parts of chapter six for you. It says this in Judges chapter six. It says the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord for the, and for seven years. He gave them into the hands of the Midianites because the power of Midian was so oppressive. The Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain clefts, in the caves, and in the strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites invaded the country. They camped on the land, they ruined the crops, and they didn't spare a living thing for Israel as they invaded the land to ravage it. Verse 11, he says, And the angel of the Lord came down and sat down where Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this bad stuff happened? But now the Lord has abandoned us and has given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and he said, go in strength and the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And I'm, uh, am I not sending you? He asked. And then Gideon replies, he says, how can I save Israel? This is a real unique thing. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. That's one of the tribes of the children of Israel. My clan in this tribe is the weakest clan. And he says, and I am the least in my family. He's basically saying, I have no strength on my own. 
And then the Lord answers, he says, I will be with you and I will strike down the Midianites. And that's the story so far. That's the front end of the story. And when you look at chapter seven and you read how it plays out, it is so weirdly contrasting from fear to faith, from inaction to heroic kingdom God work. And you think, what just happened? So let me just walk you through this and let me summarize a little bit of the story for you. First of all, the Midianites, they're a semi-nomadic people, lived uh, in this uh, Sinai Peninsula in, in Western Arabia. They were raiders. They swept in like locusts. They destroyed all the crops and the livestock. They weren't an army. They were more like a mob. They were like-minded raiders and thugs. Scripture tells us there are too many to count, as I said earlier. And um, they put this nation, the nation of Israel, in a spot where they were starving. And then this is the weird piece where Gideon, it says that Gideon was threshing wheat. That means separating the wheat and the chaff, which you usually do out in an open field where they throw the wheat up and the chaff kind of blows and the wheat and the, the uh, grain and the kernels fall. And you're able to gather that for grain and bread and fruit and stuff like that. And so he's threshing that in a wine press which tells you what's going on. He's trying to provide his family, but he's in hiding in fear. And Gideon's self-confidence is at an all-time low. And he's wondering, where is God? And has God abandoned us? And when I look at this story, I look at what Gideon, and I look at what's happening in Israel, I feel like that's how many of us feel today. With everything going on, I'm not feeling very confident in myself. I just want to provide for my family. I just am going to hide behind my mask. I know that there are mobs and chaos in our world. I just want to hunker down in my home and hope that this imminent threat goes away, all the while wondering, God, where, where are you as this plays out? And in this series, Up and Over, where we're challenging each other to live an overcoming life, one of the things that I see again and again is that fear is such a powerful emotion and that it takes control of us. And instead of living up and over, it's more like we're living down and out. And, and that's just not what God calls us to. And that's why Pastor Terry and others have been speaking to this very thing is how do we live this overcoming life that God has created for us to live when fear seems to take us over? So let's talk through fear for just a moment. Fear, fear is actually a human emotion that's triggered by a perceived threat. It's a basic survival mechanism that signals to our bodies to respond with, uh, to danger with either fight or flight, as you've heard that as a response. As such, it's such an essential part of keeping us safe. So it's a piece of our human hardwiring and emotion. This is when something happens. If for some reason you're in your house and a bear walks up to the front door and the door's wide open, you might feel some feeling of fear. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a good thing. It's an internal DNA response that I'm like either going to fight the bear, which is a bad idea, or I'm going to run from the bear. But that's how that plays out. However, when people live in constant fear, whether from a physical danger in their environment or threats they perceive, they can become what we call incapacitated. This is where anxiety sets in. This is where worry overtakes us. This is where anger can take over. This is where apathy and inaction becomes part of our daily routine. Not just fear, but constant fear. And so when I look at that, when I look at the pandemic that hit, and there was this initial and justifiable fear, 
Now it's been seven months, it's moved to constant fear. When I, sh when I look at the shutdown of our economy, it's moved to constant fear. When I look at racial unrest and rioting, it's moved to constant fear. The unprecedented fire, smoke, and air qualities has moved us to constant fear. Ongoing unsettled nature of our political climate has moved me to constant fear. And initial fear is a God-given human response and emotion that is designed to protect us, whereas constant fear is a counterproductive mindset that's designed to control us. Constant fear is driven by the enemy. It's driven by others, or it's driven by my own lack of faith. Constant fear eliminates effort. It sidelines my resources. It clouds reasonable thinking. It debilitates our ability to fulfill God's calling on our lives. So when the Bible says to me, God has not given me a spirit of fear, what he's saying is God has not given me a spirit to live in this mindset of inability and debilitation of constant fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The spirit of fear is not just regular or initial fear. He's talking about the effects of ongoing constant fear. We're living in an age of fear. Unchecked or constant causes most people to underestimate the very thing that God uses to advance his purposes. So when I look at this story and I begin to ask myself the questions, when, when, when I see Gideon, I realize he has this pressure of constant fear. Children of Israel, and it says in the story that they walked away from God, and so, so there's this oppression. God's look, probably using this to get their attention. But you have 135 angry mob, crazy people bearing down on you. You're hiding, and you're in constant fear. And God calls him out of this not, per, not just personally, but to lead his nation, to lead the people. So there's three things that I just observe in this first passage of chapter 6. And then I'll walk us to the end of the story and then share some things I want you to, to, to see today. The first is this, that God, in the story of Gideon, God meets us in our fear. If you're feeling anxious and you're feeling like, like constant fear or this like, whoa, I'm, this is going on and on. The weird piece of that is, is that God actually meets us right there. That's where God makes that connection point and walks us through those things. Oftentimes we think, where is God? And actually, I, I, I call that the distant presence of God. That actually, we, we feel like he's distant, but it turns out he's right there with us walking with us. the scriptures speak of it again and again as God is walking and journeying with us through our greatest fear. Um, it says, uh, uh, yea, that I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil because uh, uh, you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It speaks about that kind of concept of the presence of God in the midst of fear. And so in this passage, it says that the angel of the Lord, that representation of God's voice, comes to Gideon in the midst of fear. So we have to recognize that. God meets us in our fear. And sometimes it feels like he doesn't. And that's, that's a faith aspect to be able to say, okay, I'm going to trust the fact that God is here and present with me in the midst of my constant fear. Remember, in constant fear, there's, there's an unreasonability in our mindset that goes, I don't know what's going on, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's almost settling and clearing your mind for a moment to say, God, I need you right here. And God's whispering, I'm right here. First, God meets us in our fear. 
as he did with Gideon. Second thing that I see in this story, God sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. God sees things in us that we don't see in ourselves. I, the passage is crazy because it says, then it says the Lord, it, it, it says in the passage, it says, it says, the Lord is with you. And he calls him mighty warrior. This is a dude that's hiding in a wine press. This is a dude that's, that's doing his job, but doing a job in a completely different area because he knows if he does it out in the open, he could get attacked, killed, lose everything that he has. He's, he's operating out of fear and they come in and the angel of the Lord says, mighty warrior, like mighty warrior. One, I don't feel like a warrior. And if I was, I sure as heck not mighty. Like he does not feel that. And yet this identity of how God sees the individual. I think, there, I think of this passage as one of favorite, kind of an anchor verse for me in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance. Meaning God has uniquely made me a certain way. He has given me traits and qualities and gifts and abilities and opportunities and, and great experiences and wounded past to be able to do things that no one else can do. And then he's created this trajectory of things that I can walk in and do and to serve uh, uh, mankind as Christ would and to advance his kingdom. He's created that. Ephesians 2.10 teaches us that. And so I look at this and I say, God sees in him the fullest potential, the logical limit of who he is and can be. And he does the same with us. I just think we don't think that. I think we underestimate or we believe the lies or we believe the assumptions about ourselves that aren't true. When in fact, God has created us and called us his sons, heirs to the kingdom. He's called us his ambassadors. If God was pleading his case through us for people to be reconciled to him, that what oftentimes what happens is God sees things in us and we don't see them in ourselves. And that's what, that's what happened in this story. The third thing that I see in this story is God reassures his omnipotent presence. God reassures his omnipotent presence. So, so what does omnipotent mean? Omnipotent is um, a, a, a fancy word to say all-powerful. So there's omnipotent, omniscient, all-knowing, and um, omnipresent, all, all presence everywhere. So God is these omnis. But God reassures of his omnipotent, his all-powerful presence in this moment, because he says, I've got this. We're going to deliver Israel. You're not delivering. I'm just using you and the resources and the connections and the person that you are to do something great through this whole thing. And this is how the story plays out. I'll just walk you through chapter seven, which isn't the focus, but, but I wanted you to see, here's a guy that was racked with fear. God gives him and reminds him of who he is and what he sees in him. And he reassures him that I've got this. And then he takes them to one of the, I believe, one of the craziest uh, military battles in all of biblical history. Uh, it's one of my, one of my favorites because it's so weird that it demonstrates the character of God. Here's the Midianite warriors that are in the Valley of Jezreel, 135,000 of them. And so uh, in chapter seven, you see Gideon finally pulls himself together, recognizes God's going to do this. And so he's going to gather the, the, any able man that can be a warrior to fight against the Midianites. There's 135,000 of them and more camels than they can even count. And 
Gideon is able to gather 32,000. Just do the math. 32,000 versus 135,000. So that's like a four to one odds plus. Like, like, all right, you're going to battle, but you got to at least, nobody can die. You got to kill at least four people. I mean, that's the kind of battle it is, right? And then God says, you know what? And he says this line in the, in the passage where he says in chapter seven, he says, I don't want Israel to think that you got this. I got this. I don't want you to think that you had the power to pull this off. And so we're going to thin down your army a little bit. And so he says to Gideon, he says, let the men go that might be afraid to go to battle. And so Gideon makes the announcement to his 32,000 men. If you're afraid to go to battle, you're free to go home. And 22,000 people leave. Now, again, nothing's changed for the armies of Midian. There's 135,000 Midian raiders and now 10,000 Israelites left over. And God says, it's still too big. I've got to thin this out even further because the odds now jump down to 135 to one. And so now it's a whole different story. And so now we look at it and we say, okay, what, what are we doing here? How is this, how is this plan? Not 135, 13 to one. Anyway, uh, sorry, my math is bad. So then we look at it and we say, okay, God says, I want to thin this out even further to Gideon. And I'd be, if I were Gideon, I'd be like, okay, what's happening here? I was trying to put an army together. How are we going to do this? And God's basically saying, I've got this. What you were racked with fear with is not anything of your concern. You were consumed by fear. You had this constant fear and I've got this. And so he says to Gideon, he says, take them in down to the river and I'm going to thin them out for you for them to have them get a drink. Whoever drinks like a dog basically puts his hands on the shore and puts his face down in the water and drinks versus the man that kneels down and cups water up and drinks. We'll keep the guys that are cupping the water and we'll get rid of the guys that are kneeling down to sip a water like a dog. So you got to think from Gideon's perspective, what am I feeling at this time? Man, I sure hope guys cup water. Cause I'm running out of guys and only 300 men are separated by God to say, these are the 300 you're going to take to battle 135,000 Midianite warriors. Crazy. And then what happens very simply, even after that, he gives them a, all right, let's, let's get our weapons of warfare. He pulls the weapons of warfare and he's, instead of a bow and a blade and a sword and an arrows, he gives them a pot. Uh, uh, a torch and a trumpet. They gather around the armies of the Midianites and instead of attacking them in the middle of the night, they throw down the pots to get their attention. They hold up the torch and they blow the trumpet and yell the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And what happens is the Midianites just freak out and turn upon themselves and destroy their own internal uh, destruction in their own army and attack one another until they're completely conquered. But the story is this unique story because if you look at the front end, here's a guy just racked with fear. The least of the least, the guy that brings nothing to the table. There's no wisdom that he has. There's no strength that he has. He's just like, I got nothing. And then God releases him from his fear. It helps him to see who he is and brings him to this new place. So, what I wanted to challenge you with is a couple things, four things I just wanted to give you. If you have a paper and you want to write these things down, 
is in order to move up and over, we must first, this is the first thing, right size fear. We must right size fear. Often fear overtakes us and it seems like, oh man, this is, this is bigger than it needs to be. And actually what, what we need to do is look at it and say, is this constant fear or is this just coming at me right here? And we need to right size it. We need to help ourselves see actually what's coming our way. Um, uh, is it, is it just initial or is it just, is it something that's going on and on in my life? But we need to right size it and help us to see actually what's going on. That's the first thing. The second thing in order to move up and over is we must countermand fear with faith. And oftentimes when I'm feeling a sense of fear in a particular thing, I have to counter it with a statement that starts with, but God, ah, we don't know how we're going to pay our bills, but, but God has provided for us. We're not sure how this is, this election is going to put, but God's got this and he appoints kings and, and presidents and leaders. Oh gosh. Oh, uh, but we don't know how this COVID thing's going to, God's got this and God, God protects us. He's our healer. And every time I, if I countermand fear with a faith statement that starts with, but God, it changes the trajectory of the fear for me. So first right size fear, second countermand fear, third, lean into identity not individualism. So when you see in the story, if it was individualism, the Israelites need to, we need to, we need to do an army that matches person to person. We need to come in at our own strength. And what they needed to do is to lean into their identity. No, God is the God of armies. I'm his child. I'm the child of God. God has got this. God will take care of this. So to lean into our identity and not our individualism. And then the fourth thing, so right size fear, Countermand fear with faith. Lean into identity, not individualism. And fourth, remind ourselves of our narrative. This is super important. Throughout the scriptures, you'll see oftentimes when the children of Israel are wave, wavering and, or there's something that goes on, God will say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God that led you out of Egypt. I'm the God that brought you through the desert. I'm the God that fed you uh, manna in the wilderness. I'm the God that did this. Remember, the, I'm the God that did this. And that was Israel's, Israel's narrative. And they would always go back to their narrative to remind themselves who God was and what he did. And I think we have to do the same thing. Who was God and what did he do in my own life? How did he provide? How did he protect? How did he take care of me? How did he save me? How did he redeem me through these whole things? So that's what I wanted to share with you guys today. I wanted to challenge you uh, when we think about it. Right size fear, countermand fear, lean into identity, and remind ourselves of the narrative as we respond and move up and over in this life, the life that God's called us to. I have a, a special song for you guys. Um, it was written by my son, who's going to sing it with your team here, um, that really speaks into, it's called Make Me Holy, but it starts with, I have no strength of my own, no wisdom that I know. Um, and then it's really saying that take my, come take my nothing and turn it into something. Take the fears that I have and turn it into something that's used for you. So I want to share this song with you. And uh, before I close in prayer, I just remind everybody, about giving, if you want to give online, um, respond um, through the app or however that works best for you. Um, we encourage you to do that as well. We thank you. We love you. Cornerstone is a blessing to be with you guys. Let me just pray as we close our time. God, thank you for the chance to be together with my brothers and sisters, the families and friends all across uh, the Bay Area and different parts that listen online and watch online and respond in community online as best we can. 
um, to this wonderful and beautiful faith community. And Father, I pray that as we continue through this year, we've, we know we have bumps ahead. Will you help us to not live in constant fear, but to live in faith, to lean into the identity and to recognize that you've got this bigger and better and above and beyond what we would ever imagine, that we would move up and over as we continue to press on to what God has called us to be and, and be strengthened by that. I pray a blessing on this community and I pray a blessing on uh, the leadership and as they lead through these times, strengthen us this week and bless us this week, we pray in Christ's name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. scars on my chest a proof that my actions they were not the best so I say make me holy then now I have no song to sing Yeah, the truth's gone far from me I'm desperate for cover from my like no other My sin running deep, there's no light in the tunnel I say, make me holy
Oh, how good is that? God can take our nothing and turn it into something. I mean, this is, this is a great truth that the Lord wants us to hold on to. That there is nothing, no limitation that we're experiencing that the Lord can't, if he's welcomed into it, turn it for good. Ah, and even now, Lord, we just welcome you into our, um, our places of, of challenge. Um, anything that we may feel is confining us. Just as you know, it just seems like there's been one problem after another. And yet the Lord is present. He is here. We're together, right? We're together. And, and, and I know that the Lord is with us, right? We can weather this together. Together we can weather the storms of life. And I think that's, that's just part of the, the gift of God. And my earnest desire for all of you, uh, all of our church community, wherever you may be, you know, in different parts of the world, even, you know, certainly the parts of the country, we're all spread out right now, but we're together in a different way. And I'm so grateful for that. And my prayer is that the Lord would keep you in your spirit, in your body, and in your mind, in your soul, right? So much of the battle is fought in our thought patterns. And the Lord wants us to center ourselves on the good and not get carried away by all the trouble and anger and different things that are just, it seems like everybody's yelling. And the Lord wants us to have in the midst of this storm, peace in our heart and peace of mind and peace with God and peace with one another. Why does he do that? I mean, he's given us Jesus. He's so good and he's so God. And he wants us to so good and to so God, doesn't he? Ah, do not forget, do not forget, you are greatly loved.